So you're telling me somebody spent over $400 at Neiman Marcus and that didn't raise a red flag, but $55 and some odd change at Walmart did? I feel like you do not know me very well. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. Mistaken identity is not a new phenomenon. It's been around for centuries, I'm sure. We just see so many new ways it's presenting itself. People pretending to be one person when they're not. People posing as something that they're not. People not understanding who someone really is. Mistaken identity at its best, if if that's a thing, I don't think there's a best, but at its best, it causes confusion, and at its worst, it does great damage. Unfortunately, it's getting to be more and more common, isn't it? It comes in all kinds of varieties. We hear of catfish schemes where people get into relationships with somebody, sometimes for years, with a person they've never met. I can't believe this. They've texted, maybe talked on the phone. Although I did read about one scheme where somebody hadn't even talked on the phone with the person they were in relationship with years. They exchanged emails and texted and never talked on the phone because the person said, well, the other person told me that they... T- Sorry, it's not funny. It's not really funny at all. And they said, well, no, the, the, the one person told me they didn't have any vocal cords. Seriously. So... As crazy as it sounds, unfortunately, I think it happens way more often than we care to think. And these usually end up with somebody spending somebody else's money and scads of it. Oh, they were stuck in the hospital. I read this. They were stuck in the hospital and they had the surgery. So I just sent them, wired them like $20,000. And then, and then I had to, and it's just, it's just sad. And as sad as that is, what makes me even sadder or madder are people who make up fake GoFundMe pages and prey upon people's generosity and goodwill, pretending like they have a friend or a relative in need. They gain sympathy and again, raise money for who knows what they're going to do. This really bugs me because I think of all the people who actually really do need money and who benefit from GoFundMe pages. And I think, I don't want real people losing out because fake people are being so horrible. Another form of mistaken identity comes when one person passes off as someone else while charging things on that somebody else's credit card. The law does not hold the credit card holder liable for these charges that were made. I know this is a fact. And banks are actually usually pretty good about catching this. Uh, one time too good. <laughs> when, when Kenny and I had moved um, about 10 years ago now, we had gone to Target And then we went to Walmart one right after another, and we had bought some electronics and some things that we were saving up for in our move. And then when we were done at those two places, we tried to go to McDonald's to eat, and they declined our card. Our bank had had seen all this going on a spree type of spending, and they thought they'd save us from whoever was doing this to ourselves. 
and it was us. So, but they froze our account. They saved us from ourselves. Few phone calls later, lots of button pushing, lots of button pushing and redirecting. Eventually, we were able to get our Big Mac and a salad. So sometimes they catch it. Sometimes not quite soon enough. Last year, about this exact same time of year, it happened to me. Our bank froze our account. Unfortunately, not soon enough. I was sitting, studying, sitting at a caribou, and I get a text from the bank asking me if I was trying to spend $55.74 at Walmart right then. And if I wasn't, I was supposed to click on the link they texted to me. I'm like, I am not clicking on any link that says the bank says to click on this. It sounded fishy. So I decided not to go that route. Instead, I called my bank. Then they assured me that it actually was them. And that's what they do. They text people and have them click on links. Told me to hang up and click on the link, which I did. My card was frozen. Eventually, a bank employee called me and between him and me and both of us checking, we went through my bank statement and we saw that whoever had my credit card was really enjoying themselves. I I almost wished it was me. (laughs) Apparently, they were having a really good day. They bought something for $91 at Home Depot. I don't know what that was, but I kind of wish I did. Then they bought multiple pairs of shoes and things at an Adidas store. Then they stopped and grabbed a quick dinner at Ruby Tuesday. I'm guessing they had unlimited fries in in more ways than one. Free fries, free fries. They got gas in Florida and then apparently enjoyed a shopping spree at Neiman Marcus to the tune of over $400. Finally, and I'm not sure why this is what tipped the scale. Finally, they go to Walmart and try to spend $55.74 and that's the tip-off to my bank. I was like, hello, over 400 to Neiman Marcus. I think that would be a little bit more of a one-off for me and my spending habits. Also, the only reason we even had any money in the bank for the person to do all this is because our taxes were due very soon. And we had transferred some of our savings into our checking in order to pay our tax bill. So then I was freaking out about that. Are we even going to have enough? Eventually, it was all figured out. Until again last week. When Kenny's card was compromised and his was frozen and we had to get him a new one. I'm now a little gun shy and apparently also card reader shy. I I took three of our grandkids to McDonald's just last night. And as I tried to pay, I put my card, my chip in the chip reader, my card in the chip reader twice. And it was declined. And I was like, oh my gosh, this happened years ago at a McDonald's. And oh, my husband, he just had got a new card last week. This is such a hassle. I haven't even spent any money today. I do not know what's going on. This is such a pain. I hate going through this process. And when I paused for a second to breathe, the employee looked at me and said, oh, actually, I didn't notice you're using the chip. Okay, our chip reader isn't working right. Could you just swipe it instead? It's like, oh, brother. So yeah, mistaken identities, things like this, they cause confusion. We feel it minor ways here and there. I want to spend a little bit of time today on another story found in Acts chapter 9. So that next week, when we look at some verses in Acts chapter 11, it might make a little more sense to us. This story is so good. It's better than we could even imagine. There's intrigue and drama and fear. And yes, a case of multiple mistaken identities, for sure. Perpetual. Let me read for us Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile, 
Philip had been sharing Christ with an Ethiopian eunuch, and that whole story was going on in the chapter right before, right? So the gospel is being spread, and things are happening as people are talking about Christ. And so we're seeing the living out of the, you will be my witnesses in um, Jerusalem, Judea, and Spirit, and the earth. We're seeing that being lived out. So this is like now the scene is starting. So the writer of Acts, who's Luke, says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sounds, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He did not eat or drink anything. What do we see? Summarizing quickly. Saul, traveling on the road to Damascus, what's his intent? To round up and persecute people of, quotes, the way. That's what new believers were called as they followed Jesus. They followed his way. Jesus himself called himself the way, the truth, and the life. He said he was the only way to a relationship with God. Believers were called people of the way. On Saul's way to Damascus, pun intended there, (laughs) But also, quick aside, actually, as I think about it, Saul's way, he's doing his own thing. He's not following the way, which is Christ. Sometimes we do that too, don't we? Kirsten's way. This is Kirsten's way. This is going to be a good one. Nope. (laughs) In fact, it would fare well for me, for sure, and probably all of us, if I had been going on my way, Kirsten's way, and it wasn't the same as the way, if I could have some sort of dramatic interruption. Saul, in this case, was going on his way to Damascus. Saul, in this case, was interrupted by the voice of Jesus himself and was subsequently struck blind. The men traveling with Saul were speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. I'm sure they were looking, too. Kind of like when you go to a basketball game or something and somebody starts singing the national anthem and you're like, wait, where is that person? I need to see who's singing. I need to see it like real bad. I need to know. At any rate, there was talking. The men with Saul couldn't see who was doing it. Saul couldn't see it either because, well, we know he's blind now, so there's that. So now here's blind Saul. He's in Damascus, but instead of coming in like a storm to wreak havoc, he's led blind by the hand to Judas's house on Straight Street, where he stays as a low-maintenance guest, not eating or drinking anything for three days. Who is this Judas on Straight Street? Wasn't one of the disciples, Judas. Nope. Most people think that this Judas was a Jew, but not a believing Jew. There's no way a believing Jew would be having Saul come and stay at his home. They don't know what's going on on the road to Damascus. He would not have welcomed him there. Also, the traveling companions probably had a schedule set. They knew where they were headed. They had a plan. They knew who they were going to be staying with. And 
now that their leader had become their follower, they were just like, oh, let's just do what he was going to do and, and, and go there. So there they are, Saul, his traveling companion, some guy named Judas, hanging out in the house on Straight Street. Meanwhile, it's like the lights go dark here. <laughs> Meanwhile, we pan over somewhere else in Damascus. We see light rays up on a home somewhere far away. <laughs> There's a man named Ananias who was a part of the way. He was a follower of Jesus. And I promise, had Hundo P heard about Saul the Pharisee, who was known for persecuting believers. He knew Saul had come. We know this. We'll see this. In fact, let me read it right now. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. I'm going to pause there for just a moment. The light raises up. We see this disciple named Ananias. He knows who the Lord is. The Lord speaks his name, Ananias. He says, what, Lord? He doesn't say, who, who is this talking? He knows. He's called by name and he's told by the Lord to go lay his hands on Saul to confirm to Saul and probably confirm to Ananias too that the Lord Jesus had plans for Saul. He even said he was giving a corroborating vision to Saul. Hey, I'm going to tell Saul and have to expect a guy named Ananias who's going to come and lay his hands on him to restore his sight. I don't think any of us fault Ananias for questioning this for a bit, right? We would all be like, no kidding. But then when the Lord again tells him to go, Ananias followed the instructions. What Jesus said, Ananias did. That's what it means to follow Jesus. I'm repeating that. What Jesus said, Ananias did, period. That's what it means to follow Jesus. He gets to this house. What does he do? I, just, I still wish I could just be there. Ananias goes to the house and enters it. He places his hands on Saul and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Then Saul spent several days with the followers in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them prisoners to the chief priests? 
Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Saul stays for several days in Damascus. Can you imagine it? (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. Saul is now, with sight restored, going into the synagogues and preaching to those gathered. Now picture in these synagogues here. These, These synagogues aren't places of worship for those who believe in Jesus. In these synagogues, the people that are there worshiping are law-abiding Jews who felt that Jesus was an imposter. They jumped on the bandwagon yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Jews in the synagogues are not to be confused with Jews who had placed their faith and trust in Christ. Some did. But the followers of Christ are gathering now in homes and in makeshift places of worship and house churches and such. They would have been thrown out of the synagogues and no longer welcome. They would have actually been avoided in the marketplaces and shamed on the streets. So the people that Saul is now preaching to in the synagogues days earlier have been his cronies. The synagogue Jews didn't like those who are placing their faith and trust in Jesus, and he would have been welcomed there because they didn't know what his message was. Can you imagine once he stood up and started talking, saying, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus is the Messiah? They were like, wait, what? Isn't this the guy who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call in his name? Wasn't he supposed to come take prisoners of the people who say what he's saying right now? This is baffling. He's saying the wrong words. He's doing the wrong things. He's going to the wrong people. Is it a trap? Can you imagine? Wait, does he want us to go? Yeah, I believe that. Ha ha. (laughs) Or what? Does he really believe this stuff now? He really did. And after many days had gone by, And it was getting clearer and clearer that this wasn't a case of mistaken identity. Instead, it was one of a changed identity. It made these religious Jews super mad and very zealous. And a conspiracy arose among them. It says, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan day and night. They kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But the followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Quick side note here that I want us just to notice, and we're going to come back to it later. Saul is known first as what? A non-Jesus follower, right? He's known as a non-Jesus follower, but then he's later baffling the people because what he says and the way he lives doesn't line up with that. Not the other way around, which is sometimes more the way we get, right? (laughs) We're known first as a Jesus follower, but then we baffle people later by what we say and what we do. But we'll get back to that. That's more like next week. Back to Saul. Lowered on a rope in a basket through a wall because of death threats. Seriously, this is like wrongfully accused. If this had happened to any of us or does in the future, this is the stuff books are written about or news reports are made of. My grandkids always ask me, Nana, is that going to be on the news? Did you hear that on the news? And this is just the beginning of all kinds of stuff. Saul's going to look back and go, remember when I thought it was a big deal to be lured by a basket through a hole in the wall because people were going to try to kill me? I remember when that used to be like the biggest deal. 
He goes through all kinds of stuff. And in case you're wondering, I don't want to assume anything. Many of you might know this, but some might not. Might not. Saul, this Saul is the same guy who later on goes by Paul in the rest of the New Testament. He never receives a formal name change or anything like we saw with Abram and Abraham or Sarai or Sarah or Simon, Peter, anything like that. It didn't happen with a flash of light. It didn't happen when Ananias laid hands on him. Jesus referred to him afterwards still as Saul. So did Luke in his writings for a bit anyway. So what's up with being called Paul later on? What's the deal? In Acts 13, 9, it tells us, it says, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, and that's all it means. It's exactly what it means. Saul was just also called Paul. Like Kenneth could be called Kenny or Ken or Daniel, Danny, or or maybe more like Margaret and Peggy. Like how do they get that? Or, or William and Bill or whatever. <laughs> to make it more clear, as Luke's writing, from the time when he mentions that, Saul was also called Paul in Acts 13. From that time on, when Luke writes, he only refers to him as Paul. And then later, when writing his letters, Paul only references himself as Paul too. But in our story, if you're still, if you're still at all tracking with me, he's still Saul. Saul, the guy who has a conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Saul, Ananias lays his hands on him. Saul preaches in the synagogues. People want to kill him. He's lowered from a basket through an opening in the wall. But where does he go next? He's lowered through. Where does he go? He goes to Jerusalem. That's where he came from. He also knew that that's where the apostles were, and he wanted to connect with them. He found them, but the whole mistaken identity was a problem there, too. When he came to Jerusalem, I'm picking up in verse 26, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. I can't really blame the disciples when he tries to join them, but they're all afraid of him. It would have been kind of cool if they're just like, what? Cool. Come on in. But they needed Barnabas to come and vouch for him. Give him a reference. He walks with Saul to the apostles. He gives him a verbal recommendation. So Saul was able to stay with them for a while. And he goes in and around Jerusalem, his new self, a follower of Jesus. Can you believe it? He'd been walking around Jerusalem in one way. Now he's walking around Jerusalem in a whole new way. It's almost like there was an old self and now there's this new self. The old self was gone and the new has come. The new is being transformed like Christ following after Christ. And he writes about this because he experiences this in his life. It's so fun to read his letters, knowing these things about him. So he comes back to Jerusalem. He preaches. He stays there, enjoying fellowship then with the disciples who now believe in him because he believed that he's a true follower because of Barnabas standing and vouching for him. And he preaches until what? Well, just like before, it says here, verse 29, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So Saul stays there and he preaches until what? Another group of people want to kill him. 
and the believers not throw a basket in a wall this time. They take him down to the port city of Caesarea, and they literally ship him back to his hometown of Tarsus, which is actually where we're going to pick up the story next week. We're going to pick up the story and see where what happens to Paul next. And also we're going to see, huh, look at the connection that we have with this apostle that was Saul and then later is known as Paul. What do we know? What's the deal? <laughs> Saul struggled, Saul Paul struggled with this mistaken identity. People didn't know who he was and what he stood for. But then what happened? As time and time went on, he lived his life in a consistent way following after Christ that people started to see and they knew. He was always being accused of, he's just preaching because he wants money. He's just preaching because he wants to be popular. People would accuse him of that. But what would, what would Paul do in, in, that, in light of that? He never frantically and frenetically ran around and go, oh, wait, who said that? Nuh-uh, I'm not like that. Who said that? Come on. Come on, Barnabas, tell me who said it. Come on. No, he was never trying to clear his name. He was not ever trying to promote himself. All he ever wanted to do was to promote and spread the good news of Christ. He focused on Christ and served him. He focused on Christ and served him day after day after day after day, which is an example that we can follow. As we see Paul lean into his new identity in Christ. In fact, he writes in the, to the church at Corinth, follow me as I follow Christ. When we think about our identity, when we think about our identity as Christian individually, which we're going to talk about next week, as we think about our identity as Christians collective, what should our identity be known for? What should be our banner? I don't know, but Christ did, and he told us. I didn't make this up. John 13 tells us, by this, everyone will know that you are followers of mine by the love that you have for one another. Lord, thank you that you first loved us. Thank you that you loved us while we were still sinners. Thank you that when Saul was intent on killing those who followed after you, that you were intent on stopping him. Thank you, Lord, that when others were intent on killing Saul, that it was your intention to spare his life so that he could spread the good news of the gospel, so that he could write down letters from which we read and learn more and more about you. Thank you, Lord, for what you did in the life of Saul. Thank you, Lord, for what you do in our lives as well. Help us to live in a way that doesn't lead to confusion about who we are and who we follow. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.